to the Western North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Tim, how's it going? Uh, not too bad. It's been a fairly uneventful week for me. I've been uh, staying at home, as I'm sure a lot of people are right now, and watching quite a bit of soccer, actually. I've, I think I put in eight games this week, so... Yeah. Damn. How That's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. Hanging in there trying to survive. It's been a a little up and down lately, but still here. (laughs) Can't complain about that, right? Can't complain. Um, but can you complain about the result this weekend? That's the real question. Oh, I'm sure we will get into that quite a bit. (laughs) Okay. So first off, what are you drinking? Uh, I have a, a Boundary Bay, Bay Harvest Rye. Oof, that sounded harder to say than I thought. <laughs> Do you want to try again? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go again. Boundary Bay Harvest Rye. It's a uh, fall. It's a, it's a very malty beer. Boundary Bay is one of the founders of craft brewing in the U.S. and been around for many, many years up here in Bellingham. And it's good. It's good. It's, it, it feels very folly. How about when you, you say when you say rye, I, I really just want whiskey at that point. <laughs> I figured it might be a little too early for whiskey. <laughs> well, I'm not even drinking beer this week. I'm drinking a glass of wine because that's oh, what nice. I had. That's what I had open. So, what, what wine is it? A uh, two buck chuck? Uh, no, it is from Whidbey Island. Uh, I guess Whidbey Island Winery. I think that's the full name. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the wine, though. It's a red wine. It, I want to say Confidence. No, that doesn't sound right. It's a C you word. Very, you didn't seem very confident. About I did. That. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a C word, and it's longer than four letters. So don't okay. don't don't think. Uh, <laughs> don't get your C words twisted. Um, but it's good. It's good. It's working for me right now. So. Yeah, I mean, I. When I think of wine, I don't necessarily think of uh, Whippy Island, but that's what they got there. They got yeah. a lot of wineries. Oh, really? Yeah, surprisingly. Huh? They don't. I, I don't even think they grow or can go can grow red wine grapes. I think there's very limited grapes that they can grow there, and everything else is just imported. So oh, gotcha. They're not growing a ton of stuff out there, um, but lots of wineries. Surprisingly. Huh. Good to know. Go where the tourists are, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, on to your question of the week. So my question of the week was almost going to be, I don't know, like I tend to use pretty like fun, interesting things. I was going to go on something like Desert Island, blah, blah, blah. But then <laughs> I saw the uh, <laughs> the result uh, yesterday. Was it yesterday or the day before? It was yesterday, right? It was yesterday. The result of the uh, Spurs West Ham game, which was a funny game because I started, I turned it on when I woke up this morning or yesterday morning, saw it was three nil to Spurs and like just completely turned it off and did not pay attention until a friend of mine who's a West Ham fan texted me and I had to turn it back on. Did he, did he get you like at the end of the game or as they were doing their comeback? Uh, right after, after the third goal, West Ham came in. So I, I just had to. Watch, I was watching the highlights, but uh, but yeah. So my question this week is: What was your favorite goal from that game? 
Now I I didn't I didn't catch it yesterday. I saw the the score, and I I was ecstatic about that. That's always fun. <laughs> um, but the uh, yeah, I didn't see I didn't see all the goals until today. And you know I was just scrolling through, you know, scanning for for goals. I wasn't watching the full extended highlights, and you know seeing. Tottenham got their business out of the way in like the first 20 minutes. So I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, this must have been a pretty lackluster game the rest of the time. Um, if everything came in the last like five minutes of the game. Um, but yeah, I was watching through it and I was like, oh, well, the best goal has to be the one that, that Tottenham scores on themselves. But then, <laughs> then, uh, is it Lanzano? Yeah. Yeah. He, he outdid himself. My lord, that's I mean, it's my favorite type of goal from the top of the box. Mm-hmm. Hitting kissing the crossbar. Like th- th- those are two of my favorite things. Yeah. And and the the fact that it lands at the feet of their number 10 in the last minute of the game, like not even like the last seconds of the game. There was nothing that was going to happen after that. It was beautiful. And and to just see the crushed faces of all the Tottenham <laughs> players, including Mourinho, at the expense of of of, of uh, David Moyes, who's just dancing <laughs> up and down the sideline, must have just made Mourinho's skin crawl. It was fantastic. Oh, I mean, like my favorite is to see all the Spurs players just like crumple as if they're like little aluminum cans. It was, it was, it was amazing. And as you say, like that lasagna Ugo was amazing. Like the keeper got like a fingertip brush on it, but still couldn't keep it out. But I do, I do like me a good own goal when it goes against Spurs because that, that I I'm blanking on this player's name and I totally researched it before we came on and it's not in my head right now, but he just looks so dejected when that ball went in and like there's, there's, there's nothing more savory than Spurs tears and that own goal just felt, I don't know, but I think, I I think the third goal is probably the best. It has to be the dagger, the buzzer beater. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That was a lot of fun to watch. So I'm let's, let's do that again. I I love that every week. You know, it, it it did make the Saturday games feel a little bit better, but <laughs> yes, because that that look, I'm trying to look at the table right now. Tottenham is is still in the hunt. They are in seventh place, mm-hmm. a couple spots behind Arsenal at this point, right? Right in the perfect rear view spot. Yep. But you know, the one thing I did notice about that game is that that Gareth Bale. He still he still can play a little bit. I'm concerned uh, once he gets into form. <laughs> apparently, he can't shoot though. So can't shoot, but you know, <laughs> I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he found some form this season. I don't know, and I know we're not a Spurs cast. Uh, <laughs> and the less I can talk about these players, the better. But I, you know, he's looked rusty for Wales. He's just looked rusty. I think he's showing his. But he age. just doesn't play. Like I I think they they they're gonna play him. So I think that's that's part of the problem with with him is he never plays like Mm -hmm. he literally plays more golf than he does soccer these days so of course he's gonna look rusty yeah we'll see we'll see i i enjoy how excited the spurs fans are about him because i'm i'm hoping that excitement just turns to rage and disappointment (laughs) and disgust at wasting of that money on him 
That so, will that will always come at the hands of Mourinho. You don't even need bail for that. <laughs> and you know, it it's it's a team full of disappointments. So I'm not I'm not too worried they will find it somewhere. Do you think that's Spurs tagline? A team full of disappointment? <laughs> a trophy case full of disappointment. <laughs> All right. Uh, enough Spurs. Let's move on to the real Barkey match. The one where we didn't win. Yeah. I will remind you. <laughs> I, that's what we're here to talk about. Um, let me ask you a question. And I, I'm trying to remember where you landed on this last week. I don't know if we talked about scoring predictions or any any uh, any sort of predictions for the game, other than maybe a little bit about the lineup. But uh, what was what was your feeling going into the game? Were you optimistic? No, I, I mean, and I, I, we did not give our predictions. But I don't think one nil was on my radar. I, I, given the history of this match, I was very trepid going in. I mean, you remember? I mean, the last game was just after Project Restart in the league. The last game was just after the uh, pandemic, and we had what two injuries and a horrible uh, Luis mistake. Right, and they really owned the pitch against us. So I was going in; I was a little trepid, and you know, just going on our form against kind of the top teams recently hasn't been great. So, yeah, I was a, a little bit nervous. How about you? Uh, I was optimistic, actually, because <laughs> I would argue that our team, our form against the big teams, has been great. I mean, coming into the end of last season, and and. Uh, through the community shield, we'd actually found success against some of the big teams. Granted, they were in in different, um, you know, in the FA Cup and and community shield. Those are hard, you know, maybe not at, uh, apt comparisons. Kind of an apple and oranges sort of thing compared to Premier League. But um, I didn't think we had um, as much to worry about this time. I kind of had had a little bit of a thinking that maybe. Um, first off, having Arteta in the dugout, I think like if you, if you've got him on, on your team, you feel like you've got an edge because the, he probably knows that team better than anybody else. So I, that should be a boost in confidence right there. Um, and I think he's only getting the team more dialed in to what he wants to do. Another boost in confidence. Everybody seems to be positive about what Arteta is doing. Um, you have a relatively healthy starting lineup. I mean, you you could put out a pretty solid first 11. So feeling pretty good about that, especially getting Tierney back, which was a big concern. Um, I think I was, I was feeling like we would keep it close and I was thinking best case scenario, we'd get a tie. Um, but I can't say like, I think based on my, my low expectations of only wanting a tie, I really was my my secondary expectation was that we wouldn't get blown out this time because I I really felt like um, the amount of time since the last game to now Arteta's system has only gotten um, more put in place. It's a little better understood. They seem to have figured out what they want to do against the big sides, and we'd we'd see that plus. Like I my my hope was that and still is that we've got we're going to get this. Um, defensive structure figured out and then start building on that um, with the offense. And 
we've seen that in, in glimpses, but not really against the big teams. And I was hoping that this would be the time, like once you feel like you've got it figured out against the other teams, then maybe it would just kind of click against the big teams. Um, we didn't really see it against Liverpool. I was hoping this would be the redemption game. Um, and really, I, I think they, they have to get over the boogeyman as far as playing against these, these big teams. I thought was my, my big takeaway is that we're still playing a little scared against these bigger clubs. And I don't know if the, if, if it's going to take, um, beating one or two of them on a regular basis or, you know, just getting that big win that makes you feel like you've made it to, to get over this, this fear. Um, but it's, we haven't made it, haven't gotten into that mentality that we deserve to be a top four team yet. I, I don't see it on the, on the field at least. And I don't think that the way Arteta is setting up the team to play against the, the big, bigger teams or the other big six or the, Let's try that again. The other teams in the big six. There we go. Um, <laughs> I think he's still uh, a little too cautious for my taste. At least that's the way they're playing. I don't know if that's how, what he's expecting, but the way they're playing is a little cautious. I mean, I think the word, like when you use too cautious, I, I don't agree with you. I I see these are as small steps towards progress. And you were talking about, you know, the FA Cup and the uh, Community Shield. And I, I don't really see those as true barometers or tests of the teams, you know? I mean, especially the Community Shield, I think, was a throwaway game for, the, for, for, for large pieces of it, as much as I like winning trophies. So I, I was excited to to see a team and i felt like we were very competitive i don't i didn't feel as big of a gap between these two teams as as i did even last year even after the restart with uh our two teams it felt like we were miles away whereas i and i know they had some injuries but we weren't playing at full strength either and i felt we were playing on the same field i mean it was one of the most boring games i've seen in a long time (laughs) (laughs) i said i watched eight games of soccer over the weekend and that was definitely the most boring of the eight games i saw well i'm just gonna throw this out there as a as a as a contender for more boring was the sounders game last night but Mm. we don't have to go into that oh we will not go into it (laughs) actually was probably actually more boring because there was zero goals in that uh but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like i think it was two teams that really did neutralize each other i think the uh i think arsenal had the ascendancy at points i think city had the ascendancy at points i think it was very back and forth i think it was two coaches kind of sparring you know and the goal happened it was in the 22nd minute and it was there but i i don't know i was i was very encouraged by the result as much as one can be encouraged by a loss mm-hmm. what what did you think of the goal uh was um did you feel like leno could have done anything more with that shot no not really i mean i I think we're in this weird position right now where because of the Emmy Martinez thing, we're second guessing Leno at every step. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it really was just one of those goals. that was, it happens, you know, 
I think the defense is probably a little at fault, but uh, I don't know. I wasn't too angry at anybody. It was just one of those goals that goes in. Yeah, I think the only player looking back on it when I watched the replay of it, the only player that I thought maybe could have done more with it was um, Bellerin on the run up to that play. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he 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 didn't have great positioning um, and he got caught backpedaling. I think that was the, uh, you know, that's that's where where you want to get defenders as far as um, putting putting a defender on their heels and that that he had to make a quick decision, made the wrong step. Um, they're able to cut in and get a shot off, and before you know it, the rebound goes to Sterling. Correct? Yeah. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. But the um, it was it wasn't a I I, I didn't blame Leno. He did all he could to keep it out, and rebounds happen. Um, but man, that that was it. I mean, that was I didn't even really feel like um they were that threatening overall as far yeah. as what they could have been. I think we've been schlacked by them before. Um, and they've, they they, did despite the pressure that they had at moments in the game and they did have a lot of the possession. Um, it didn't feel like Arsenal were under constant attack or anything like that. I felt like they were very much, um, a a fairly stable defensive side. I didn't think that they were giving them a lot to work with. And, um, I, I kind of wonder I'm sure that game would have been very different with De Bruyne in there. Um, and it, it, it may be, um, part, I think part of like why it felt like it was close is they've, they've gotten worse. I mean, they're definitely not at their peak at this point. Um, defensively, they're not quite as strong as they were. And I, it definitely had taken a hit when you don't have De Bruyne on the field. So if we were going to play them um, and get that tie or that win, this was the game to do it. So it's unfortunate we weren't quite there on the day. I think it all comes down to, you know, that missing creativity. For for the most part, um, our, our main player that created anything was Saka. I think despite all the other players on the, is that we played, you know, we didn't have Lacazette in there. We didn't have um, Enkedia in there. Uh, so they came on late, but even with them on the field, there wasn't a whole lot going on going forward. Yeah, and I think that was one of the big issues. And when we set up that way, I, I think we're all used to it right now. I've been calling it, I don't know, like the empty bucket. I don't know exactly how to describe it when you have the five back with the two kind of defensive-minded midfielders in there. We don't have much of a center midfield presence at all. And there was no real link up between our back, I'm going to say seven even, <laughs> yeah. and and the, the, the front three. And I, it definitely showed. I think Sokka was a revelation. I, I thought he played an amazing game, and any creativity we had going forward was coming through him. He had a, a couple great moments that were just uh, inches away from being amazing. And so I'm yeah, going to ask you... Yeah, just not, not his day. Yeah. And it's something that... Uh, so Jonathan uh, King uh, Molinas is... Uh, brought up about started talking about our uh, selection up, up front where we had William up top as a center forward and we had Pepe and Obama Yang on the wings. What do you think about that selection? Was that a, a systemic failure or just a bad performance? 
Ooh, I, I, I couldn't even imagine this lineup as, as it was written down. I just assumed Aubameyang would get, was getting another chance up top. I, William as the number, the false nine is a failed experiment because he was invisible through that game. I it, like he was either pushed up too close to Pepe. Um, or, you know, I don't even think he, he, had any passes out to a bombing that I can think of. Like it was really um, just an ineffective use of his skill set. I, I mean, I, I would think you would want somebody who could pass and distribute from there. And I, I, I think he should fill that role, but man, I don't, whatever it was, it, it was a, it did not work. Um, He's not a holdup guy, so he's not really playing the same role as what Lacazette would do as in that same false nine position. Um, I I I feel like it was it was a a William for Lacazette split, or um, you know, like they they swapped, and I didn't I didn't get it. I I don't know what Arteta was trying to get out of that because um, I don't usually love Lacazette playing that that role. I'd rather see him pushed up towards goal and being dangerous from there. Um, I felt like Lacazette playing in that role was always kind of like, a, it, it usually failed as well because it just, the, the team just doesn't play in that area. Like that was the problem is always the problem the team plays around that space. And so it was just never getting to William in, the, in any area where he can be dangerous. Yeah. I, what what I, was your thought on it? Well, it's funny. It's, I, I, I turned on the game and I was unable to see any of the starting lineup. So it was one of those things where you're starting to watch the game and you're trying to like pick out who's playing where. And I was watching it delayed, so I couldn't look up the starting lineup or anything like that. So I was like just literally trying to figure out who's playing where and, and figure it out. And when I saw William in those positions, I was, I mean, first seeing David Luiz, I was, I was very confused because I didn't, I thought holding oh, had started. Yeah. And I was like, uh, my first instant thought was like, oh my God, did we bring back uh, Gwenduzi? And then I'm like, wait, no, he's not heard that. <laughs> and then, so trying to figure out that and then just seeing William up top and in that position, I was, I, I thought maybe that they were going to do some sort of like kind of rotational thing where they're switching around and confusing the uh, city defense. But when I just realized that no, William's up top, I was very confused. I don't think it worked. And I think one of the things I've mentioned before is I wouldn't mind seeing Obama Yang as a central striker. I don't know why we aren't doing that more because that, I mean, when he played for Dortmund, that was the position he played. That's where he scored a ton of goals in the Bundesliga. And I know he can play out on the wing and he's done, done it to good effect. But I, if you're, you're going to experiment with anything, I would rather have uh, William off on the wing and Aubameyang in the center at the very least. Yeah, I feel like automatically um, William is more effective by being able to play off of Tierney and Saka on that mm-hmm. left side, whereas he just couldn't. He couldn't do anything from where he was playing, and and we know Aubameyang can play in this, that space and actually make good use of it because he's going to make runs off the ball and create space for people to play in from the wings, either as um, giving giving them time to cross the ball or, you know, uh, getting into open positions in the middle of the box so that William's not doing that that sort of work. I mean, that's just, 
it was a, it was just a waste. That was the that was the frustrating part as it was going going on. I was like, when are we going to switch this up? Like I I even once they they took um, William off, I just didn't feel like it was. Um, I don't, it was just like too little, too late. No, definitely. And on the run of play, I I kind of would almost rather see Aubameyang up top with Saka there on the left and right. Pepe on the right. I think that would be an interesting combination. And I just I I, I some of me thinks that uh, Arteta was trying to be too clever playing against uh, Pep Guardiola. There's a little bit of like, you know, student teacher rivalry type of thing. And both of them are trying to out tactic each other, which Mm -hmm. is, I mean, to be honest, I I do enjoy having a manager that at least is thinking about those things. But that the the William up top is just to me is inexplicable otherwise. Yeah, like I said, I can't even really imagine what he was trying to get out of that. But it, it wasn't working for me. Um was, you you touched on it briefly like the one of the big things like coming into the game was getting um tyranny back which was great for the back back line um but then last last second uh rob holding has a hamstring issue in the warm-ups and uh dava louise is put in um it's now sounding like rob holding might be out for up to a month Ugh. with the, that hamstring injury so despite all of our center backs, we are actually in quite a bit of a pinch. It's funny. We have 13 center backs on the right now. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I think it's like eight. Uh, I'm trying to look it up right now. Um, I don't know what Callum Chambers status is. I think he's still on his way back. Uh, I, I don't know where Mustafi's at in his rehab. Um, we've got, we still have Socrates, right? He's still around. He's still around, but although I, so he didn't make the Europa League lineup, did he? No. So we couldn't use him in Europa League if we wanted to. Okay. Yeah. Rob Holdings out. Uh, Pablo Marie is coming back <laughs> slowly. Um, what else do we got? Okay. We got Dom Luis. So he's good. Still alive. Um, <laughs> we, we've got Gabriel, who's been top notch. Yeah, and that's I've- it. That's it. It's it's crazy for the amount of center backs we have. Um, I will say I think that, and I've 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 been a defender of David Luiz before, which he does play a role. I think the problem with David Luiz is that it sticks us into a five back system because I don't trust him in a two back system, right? Ever. But like he does, I mean, I think uh, we, you talk about creativity. He has creativity coming from the back. He makes passes. He had that one uh, that cross. That cross that was just amazing. And then there was one yeah. run right after a uh, corner where he ended up being up top and was running around there. So, but the the one the one thing I would say is I never want to see another David Luiz free kick again. Like oh, when, that you was have, when you have when you have. Pepe and William just standing there and you let Louise take the kick. I'm like, we've seen Pepe make it from that range. Yeah. What it, why is he, why is Louise getting any sniff of the ball? I just am baffled. Yeah. I mean, it was baffled. I, I remember seeing that and I was, I was expecting 
Pepe to take it because, you know, as you said, we've seen him do it and we've seen it to great effect. And David Luiz, has, it's been a minute since he's uh, <laughs> He's not scored for us like that. So I don't yeah. know why he's gotten such a deferential treatment. But, you know, I understand, like, if you want to throw off the goalkeeper, but he can't, if he's not putting it on frame, I'd rather have Pepe put it on frame and miss and at least yeah. have a chance at a rebound or something. Like, I, I, it, skying at a, well into the stands, Louise just should not even be touching that ball. But I mean, I mean, get it back to the defender thing. I think we're kind of in a situation now where we have one really good defender right now, which is Gabriel, and I, uh-huh. he's hit the ground running, and I have nothing but amazing things to to say about him. Yeah, it's like uh, the fact that we don't even really have to talk about him. There was no no like major highlights. No like the highlights where he was good at his job, and that yeah. was it. And you don't have to worry about it, which is uh, such a, a change, <laughs> especially for somebody who's 22 or 23. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just nice to not have to worry about a player. But like the other fullbacks or center back spots, I'm I'm worried about because I mean, I think we do have to play Louise and whoever's healthy. I mean, like, are we are we th- putting in Tierney? That's what I was thinking. Like, I think Tierney has to pull back and, and play that third slot. But I think that the thing about that is what I love about Tierney is his his ability to go forward and his ability on the wing to interchange. And I you just limit him so much when you throw him into that center back position. And I guess needs must. But I don't know. It's It's amazing the number of center backs we have and how we are in a center back emergency again. I think uh, we do, you know, I'm not, I need to look at what the, um, the current predictions are for getting some of our players back, but I do think um, Callum Chambers is, is back in training. So, you know, Marie, I think was close. Uh, We, who am I forgetting? Oh, I'm not sure what Mustafi's status is at all, but we should be getting guys back. Um, and the dark horse is William Saliba. And I, I mentioned like on Twitter, I, it might be a good idea to keep him around and keep him in bubble wrap, like just in case. Well, the only thing I worry about with Saliba is obviously something they've seen in training or since they've got him from France has raised alarm bells. Mm-hmm. And we tried to get rid of him as soon as we could, <laughs> apparently. And, well, at least get him out on loan. Not yeah, I mean, not, totally not, get get, not totally get rid of him, but we tried to get him out of the club as soon as... So, like, there's obviously something that we're seeing that's not... He's not ready. Because, like, I would have loved to see him in some minute somewhere, but he, he didn't make the... He's one of the players that didn't make the Europa League as well. Mm-hmm. And that that's worrying, because Europa League, to my mind, would be somewhere where you could blood him in and see... I don't know how he's doing and get some good competitive minutes into him. Yeah. I mean, you consider that Gabriel's like three years older than him and you can see that he's got quite a bit of experience and uh, a composure on the ball. And uh, like I said, you just don't have to worry about him. And if, if, if Saliba's not at that level yet, it's understandable. He's 19. Um, but I, I totally get why Arsenal would not be eager to throw him into the deep end. Um, especially when it's been such a precarious position for us. Um, so I, I get why the, he might get loaned, but he might, I, I, I don't want to put, put him 
back by putting him in too soon. I would not want any sort of mental um, setbacks or physical setbacks from um, not being ready for the Premier League. Uh, it is unfortunate about Europa League. I, I not he just might not be ready for that level, and that's fine. Um, but the, the way the center back thing is going, just, just having him around as a, as a deep backup might not be a bad thing. For me, that's worrying. It's more worrying the, the, that he wasn't added to the Europa League than it, that he's not starting these games. I'm, I'm not too worried about him starting against City. I don't think in a million years he was ever going to start against City. But Europa, he should be at that level. He was playing Europa League level. He was playing Champions League level like uh, in France. and the fact that the club doesn't deem him ready for that level, it, 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 it's worrying. It's, it, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not signing off on him. I, I've never seen him in an Arsenal shirt. So like, obviously that's, <laughs> that's not like, I don't want to go too far in one direction, but it, it is concerning to me. Well, and it, the, the players we have hit to compare to him that are his age on our team are Martinelli and Saka, who are not your average 19-year-old. So we, <laughs> I think they they are above above average athletes for their age. Mm-hmm. If, if Saliba's not there at the Premier League level yet, I give him time. I, 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 even at 20 years old, he'd still be a very young center back. Yeah. No, as I say, like he has plenty of time. It's as I say, the uh, the uh, Europa League, which I think would be a perfect venue for him to start working into the team. That that worries me. Well, what was your big takeaway from this Man City game? Are you feeling like uh, is it panic time? Is it? Uh, I, I think. There's there are some people who are ready to jump on the um, Arteta is overrated <laughs> bandwagon. I'm not at all there yet, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure where that that point of view comes from. But where where do you land on the scale of optimistic to Arteta out? <laughs> <laughs> the fact that people are talking about Arteta out already is just like it, it's mind boggling to me. It's I, insane. There's always extremists though, but. Uh, the thing is, it's also like people are at, talking like we're having a horrible start to the season. To be honest, we're having a great start to the season. Like, you know, we're yeah. fifth place right now. Like, we played both. Like, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about taking the Liverpool game in context with this Man City game, remembering that those two teams have been battling out for the top spot for the last couple of years. And I don't feel we are outclassed by either of those teams. I think we had our chances to win both games. And I feel more optimistic out of this loss than any loss in recent history. I I think there's we are still a work in progress, and there's a still a lot of positions that need to be uh, upgraded. But I think we are I, I think we are playing above what our players on paper should be at, and I'm I'm a okay. I let's a uh, you know, we'll we'll take a re, reassess. Uh, we will reevaluate after the next like three or four games and see where we're at. But I'm I'm fine right now. How about you? Yeah, I I don't think I have any 
complaints um, as far as the direction. And, you know, we, everybody was talking about um, the need for reinforcements in that midfield. And we only got to see, oh, seven minutes of, of party in this game. Um, there's more to come from this team. And despite the center back issues, um, I still think the rest of this, the, the team that we have, especially the depth in some of these positions is really something to be excited about, especially as we start playing Europa league as well. Um, so now we can kind of see how Arteta deals with the rotation, with the development of younger players. Um, I think one of the the best parts about Europa League over the past couple seasons is just really getting to see these young players develop and get time. Um, so I'm really excited for what Arteta is going to do with that um, that situation. Um, but yeah, I think the the party piece we still need to see how he fits. We don't we don't even know what the final um, best eleven looks like at this point. So we've got. Lots to work on. I think there's there's got to be a bit more tactically from Arteta, and we've seen tactical flexibility, but um, it, I think there's more. I think there's there's still things that the team needs to learn, especially when it comes to now that we've we've got this um, defensive structure and, and a way of playing out of the back. Uh, those things are starting to get more solid and and consistent. Like even when. Um, Man City was pressuring us and, and trying to disrupt that play out of the back. Arsenal figured out a way to adjust for that. And, and um, you know, usually they were using Saka as an outlet. And then I think it was the second half at some point, or maybe early or late in the first half, they started uh, moving the ball through Bellerin instead and switching and figuring out how to get out of that pressure and, and still maintaining control out of the back. That would not have happened under Emery by any means. I think the the huge difference with playing out of the back is we found a way to be successful with it with it and not be scared when we were on the ball. Um, they just looked uh, so comfortable, and I think that was another thing that stood out for me with Gabriel this week was just when he was getting um, penned in the back, he always seemed to find find a good outlet pass. Um, and I think there was sometimes when he he got some extra pressure there, and they were trying to go after him, but it didn't seem like it phased him at all. And I love that confidence. And I think that that confidence is really showing throughout the whole back line and, and figuring out how to consistently play out of the back has been a big part of Arteta's takeover. Um, so now, now that we're getting to the point where that's solid and, and I'm hoping the next phase is to really figure out how to um, get more out of the midfield and get more out of our front 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 three on a consistent basis like Aubameyang was in, practically invisible in that game and that just should not happen and I think Arteta's got to realize he's, he just re-signed Aubameyang um, and said he was a, a like the talisman piece of what he wanted to do with this team going forward um, if it was if it's like he needs to get party in there to unlock Aubameyang maybe that was why he was pushing so hard to get Kroenke to sign off on it um, I'm not sure what the the next phase of Arsenal looks like, um, but I'm hoping that he figures out how to get more offense out of this team. That's that's got to be it. I mean, there's just the, the the tools are there. We've got players who can score. We just have to figure out how to get the, more creativity and more um, 
more of what Sokka has been doing, right? Like he's, it's not, uh, it's not rocket science. It's just a one, two pass, you know, he's, not, yeah. he's not doing anything too crazy, but if you get everybody on that same page, um, and start using the spaces on the field that teams are giving you a little bit more clinically. Um, and I think speaking of clinically, I think Saka has to get, get his finishing boots on too. I think we need more contribution from players like him, um, to help round out what a bomb, a bombing brings. So I think it's not, it's not just on Arteta. I think the players have to, to step up as well, but creativity is key. We have to figure out how to get it and hopefully getting some, uh, you know, some Europa league matches tossed in here. We start to see some, um, younger players getting time and maybe putting pressure on the first team to step up their game. I think it's a good chance for the likes of Emile Smith Rowe to, um, get some playing minutes. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what his his status is right now, but I think he. I'm, I'm guessing in the group stage we'll get to see him a little bit. So, uh, just we need we need contributions from every part of the um, every part of the pitch to get more creativity going. So, party two, we'll, we'll have to see what he brings. Well, I mean, yeah, and you mentioned party, and uh, Bill Connolly asked about uh, how much quicker would you have subbed in Enkedia or Party into the game. And I think with Party in particular, I think we all have to take a, a deep breath and realize that Party isn't going to fix some of the major problems we have. Party isn't going to be that creative player. He's not a he's not an Azul. Like, like he's not a creative midfielder that's going to unlock defenses. So we all have to like take a deep breath and realize the team that we have right now, and in answering how quickly would I have subbed in party? I would have liked to see him earlier. I would, I wouldn't have hated seeing him start. I know I was skeptical about him starting last week when we were talking, but I, I would, I would love to have seen him take some significant minutes just to see what he was about. Those seven minutes. I, I don't even remember really him touching the ball. I'm sure he did. I'm sure there were some memorable moments, I guess, but I'm, I don't know. Like I, I just, I I'm loath to to say that party as exciting as it was to sign him is the key that's going to lo- unlock everything, you know. And I think it's going to take a couple windows actually to have that key to unlock everything. Yeah, that's the other. I guess that's the other question is, you know, I, I say we need more out of every player, but that's really just because there is a, a a glaring need on the team for more creativity. But do you think we have the personnel to get? Uh, more creative or is this the, the do you see we're hitting a ceiling here um, based on the people that we have I, it's it's an interesting question it's a good question I think in the center of the field I think we are hitting a ceiling I think but do you I think that's too soon to call with party not in the mix yet uh, or are you just saying Jaka and Ceballos aren't going to cut it it's not even just cutting. I just, I mean, and I don't see party as a center of the midfield creative player. I don't mm-hmm. think that's why we signed him. I don't think that's the role he's going to play. And he may surprise us with more creativity than I think a lot of people are anticipating, but he, he, he is a central defensive midfield player. He's going to, he's an upgrade on Jaka is how I'm looking at him, how I see him. And I don't, see the center of the pitch 
improving this season at all. If we're, if we're, if that's how we're expecting to win games, I don't. It's not happening. I do see someone like Osaka. I see Tierney. I see there are other creative players. Even William, to a certain extent, is a creative player off on the wings. And I think that's where we're going to see our creativity. It's just in my mind, I'm literally seeing this just giant U shape in our our team, and in the middle, just I nothing much is going to happen. Yeah, and that's uh, that's my concern. I guess that was my concern coming out of Man City is that like it's a little one note, and I even though they were trying to do something different with William, um, it, it, it the tactics weren't weren't all that diff- different with him playing where he was. Um, like I said, it kind of felt like it was just a swap for Lacazette and trying to just shoehorn William in that position to see if he could bring something different. I, maybe he needs more time there, but I, I don't, like I said, I don't think that's Lacazette's um, best way of playing. Uh, so if you, if you can get somebody in that position who can really, um, I, I, I I think Aubameyang is certainly the better better player there, but I kind of wonder, like going back to party, if he uh, just allows people to do more. You know, like I think he he could be that defensive stability there that allows the people around him not to have to track back as far. Um, he, his ability to cover ground just because of his size and his um, his passing ability, I think is is even superior to the people that we have playing that position now. Um, so I think he, he adds on both sides of the ball and could allow people around him to be better, even if he isn't a creative force. Uh, just a better range of passing um, could be all we need right there to make that next step. So I'm, I'm hoping that it's kind of a... Um, the the defense adds to the offense sort of situation. Well, I mean, I think in a certain way, I think him being a a, a more stable platform will allow Ceballos to blossom more. And yeah, I hope I, so. I hope so. I mean, that, that's my hope, or at least whoever whoever's partnering with him in the midfield. I I see it as a Ceballos uh, party midfield, or Thomas, I believe, is what he actually prefers to be called. We just always like to say party, but <laughs> I think it, I think the party part is has stuck. I haven't heard too many Arsenal fans calling him Thomas. <laughs> I actually didn't notice. Did, was his jersey? Did it say Thomas on the back? Because when he played for uh, oh, that's a good Madrid, question. He played with Thomas on the back of his jersey, and I I feel um, like I should know this from all the promotional sh- uh, shots, but I can't I can't think what of what his uh, jersey said. Yeah, I mean, but we just all like same party anyway, so we're we'll let the party continue. Uh, but and it's interesting because we do have depth in that now that we have uh, that party or the the Thomas piece of the puzzle. It's more like who is going to mesh the best with them? It's gonna is it going to be Jaka? Is it going to be Sabios? Is it going to be Elmeni? Who uh, mm-hmm. it seems like uh, Arteta really puts a lot of stock in. So, I mean, that'll be interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to see him integrating. And just, like I said, the I always think about how a player affects the players around them. Um, I really, I kind of expected more from um, William as far as uh, his effect on the players around him. And I haven't been 
outside of the first couple games, I haven't really been as impressed with him. So I, I'm hoping that adding party to this chemistry gets more out of players like William um, and just a, a everybody going forward. I think that's the key is, is unlocking more from the first or the front three. That's it, it's, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a necessity at this point if we're going to get get results throughout the season. We can't be one note. Teams are going to figure us out if we're just going to go um, play that empty bucket and just do everything down the wings. Like I, I clog up the wings, and and who's going to take up the space that's getting left in the middle? It's got to be somebody like Party or somebody that's out there. Um, you know, whoever's playing that false nine position. But uh, we'll see. I'm I'm. We might see a bit more from Party this week. We'll 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 see what happens Thursday. Yeah. All right. So, um, anything else you want to talk about with that game? I think that uh, more than covers what I had had to say on on City. Yeah, I think that covers the game. As I say, it was one of the most boring games I've watched <laughs> in my entire life. But yeah, and I think I I didn't really answer that second question about in in Ketty and Party, but. Yeah, they should have come in sooner. Nothing was happening. Especially I think, I, I think in Kedia, I just I, I think the takeaway we can all say is that that William up top just did not work. And we were all seeing it as we were watching it not working and why it didn't get changed earlier. Yeah, I mean, Lacazette came in well before in Kedia, but it, it just, I don't think that position was working on the day. I didn't think it changed at all with Lacazette there. So it, it's partially tactics and partially personnel. Hmm. Um. Well, that's that's all we got on on Man City. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a little incident that happened during that game. Um, that was we'll, we'll call it extracurricular, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll look ahead to our next game on Thursday uh, in the Europa League, and maybe maybe mention some uh, fantasy. Meh, meh, eh. meh. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> All right. We'll be back. All right. All right. Welcome back from the break. And we're going to go right into this bizarre incident that happened um, with the ref, the the assistant ref and the world famous Sergio Aguero. <laughs> and did you did you happen to catch this it, it, during the game, Tim? Oh yeah, it, it was it was crazy for me because I was watching the game live and I saw the situation happen and I was absolutely shocked <laughs> when it happened live because I mean, for those of you who didn't necessarily see the situation, Aguero disagreed with it a call that the uh, the lines uh, person did and it, just, it happened to be a woman the first woman who's really been a lines person and she's an amazing referee and he first argued with her in a very weird way and then had it like put his arm around her in a very creepy way I and mean, you you can see it on twitter on on the social meets like there's a lot of gifs of the action it was a very weird interaction and I've always been taught and thought that if you touch a referee, it's an automatic card. I think that it, 
as far as that goes, I think it would have been a very different situation with the, the center ref, but it, it's rarely done. You just don't see the, the linesman getting that involved typically. Mm-hmm. Like there's very rarely like big calls in that, in that area. And I don't, I don't think the chance for them to get touched happens as much, but I don't, I, I've never seen a card for touching a linesman. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I think you can't. That I, it's just like as far as I understood the situation, you just you don't touch, and it, it just it it did start like it looked weird to me when I saw it live, and even before I realized it was a uh, Macy Ellis, I, before I realized it was a woman, I'm like, this is weird. Like you don't see that, you know. And as the situation came out, it like it became it's become a bigger issue because it it really does feel like. I don't know a certain type of uh, sexism. I've seen a lot of uh, women in the game kind of retweeted and talk about the issue and how just weird it felt. What did you think about it? Uh, I think it should have been definitely addressed. Um, at, at least, if you're not going to give the card, go talk to them. Like I just, I, I appreciate so much when referees talk to players. And 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 pull them aside and, and make a, a clear. You, you you would make an example out of him if you just pulled him aside and had a conversation about that. Mm-hmm. And it would remind every player that you don't touch referees. Doesn't matter whether they're women. Doesn't it? It, it doesn't. It just should never matter. Doesn't matter if they're the linesman. Doesn't matter if they're the fourth official. You don't touch them. Um. I already feel like VAR has eroded the respect that <laughs> the referees get. Um, the amount of, of clout has diminished over the years. I think refereeing has gotten bad in general, but um, that shouldn't mean you don't respect the referees. Um, it's unfortunate that the center ref didn't take issue with it. I think that would have made a, a big, uh, that, that would have been the right, right thing to do is at least have that talk. Um, but I, I'm also of the mind that she doesn't get to this level without being able to handle that. I don't think she, there was nothing like uh, egregious enough to be like, oh my gosh, Sergio Aguero should have gotten a red card and kicked out of the game. Not anywhere near that. I'm sorry, did I interrupt? But I I don't think anyone's calling for a red card necessarily, but I have literally never seen a player put his arm around a center official, let alone a a lines judge in that way ever. And I watch a lot of soccer and it was, it was marketed to me to see that. I think you, you definitely see more um, contact with the center ref. When like a player comes up and wants to chat with them, you see, you sometimes see a, a touch or, you know, an arm around the shoulder sometimes rarely, but it happens. And it's not, it, it always comes across as like, if a player is being friendly most referees will look the other way. They're not that strict, but you know, as soon as it gets aggressive or combative, then all, then the cards come out. Um, but I don't, I, like I said, I don't, I can't recall a situation where the linesman has been involved in that sort of contact. And, um, I'm sure Aguero would have argued that he was just being friendly, you know? (laughs) And I, I, from a, outside perspective if you were watching that on var and he said he's being friendly could you really say otherwise even if it is slightly aggressive from a male to female perspective i think if that was a um 
if it was a, a man playing that role as the linesman and he did the same thing, um, yes, it should be looked at, it should be talked about, but I I, th- I would have a hard time seeing the card getting pulled for, for what he did being a, too overly aggressive. I, I, and, and I've actually seen listened to a, a couple people, in, including a uh, women journalist that I listened to a podcast of hers, and she was very, and she actually knows uh, Macy Ellison was like very dismissive, and like, she interviewed Macy Ellison and said that uh, the last thing that Macy Ellison would ever want is this to happen that we're talking about it right now because all she wants to be is just another referee. But I think. What, as I say, it struck me when it happened. I I noticed it as I said, like even before I really realized it was Macy Ellis on the uh, the line, and how the women I've seen react to it. I think there there is a larger, I don't know. Uh, it's charged. Yeah, it's it is very charged. charged. I wish that, but I I I, I don't want it to be. As we, t- I mean, I get it. I totally get why it's charged. I get why women are going to see that and have an issue with it. I get, I have an issue with it. I don't think it's acceptable. I don't think he should have been touching uh, a male or female linesman. But if, if we're if we're going to talk about equality, we have to treat it as if it was. If if you didn't look at the gender of the the linesman, would that be a card or not? I don't think it's card worthy. I think it's worth uh, talking to. Uh, and that's like there's there's two separate issues with that, which is a I actually fundamentally believe that a touching a referee should be a card. I think there should be that that delineation, just like I think hands to the face should always be a card, no matter what it is. But I, do you, but the way it's written, it's not it's not necessarily a card unless aggression is involved. Yeah, and that's that's it's always up to the the I, the referee. Yeah. And if she was, to, I I guarantee, if she was to make an issue out of it, that would draw yeah. way more attention to it than well, than is needed. And then it really becomes like a big issue. And it's I, like, and, well, we well, don't. It, that's that doesn't serve her or women trying to make that that. Uh, that job any easier to achieve, you know? Yeah, no, and I get it. And that's, I mean, it's a hundred percent why she's not saying anything and why she wouldn't want to make an issue out of it. But on the other hand, like just saying like equal, we're getting growing down a very deep rabbit hole. That's not necessarily <laughs> the purview of this uh, podcast, but like uh, just because we're trying to strive for equality, doesn't mean that you have to like just put your blinders on say like if this was a man it is it wouldn't be a big deal so therefore it's not a big deal for her being a woman and being treated this way that equality has a long way to go before we can declare equality you know Mm -hmm. and that these are these are the steps um i do respect her and her wish to kind of just keep this down under the uh, radar and after being incest about it like i've read a lot more about it where like it'd be cool if like this just kind of got swept under the rug for from her perspective which i respect well it's not like you would hear a lot from a linesman anyway i mean they, yeah. if you don't hear anything from the center ref you certainly will never hear anything from a linesman but um and it's more attention than any linesman has gotten outside of like making a a bad offside call <laughs> or you know um it's it's a bizarre situation, and I my impression of it was like more like Sergio Aguero is a creep, uh, <laughs> like that was just that that was more what I got out of it. Um, you just 
Yeah, it was just, it was a creepy move. But it was like, the way that she dealt with it, I was like, man, she's dealt with this all along. Like, you know, this is not her first rodeo. She's done this through every rank to get to where she's at. And Sergio Aguero is like the hundredth guy in line as far as guys who have tried to put their hands yeah. on her and 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 be friendly with her during a game. Um, and that's 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 probably the worst part of it, you know, just that this is the tip of the iceberg it is very a visual um example of something she's probably had to deal with in multiple ways to get to where she's at. Um that being said, I I still um, if we're just talking about what should be done, it definitely should have been handled better by the, the center ref. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if Sergio Aguero deserves to, or needs to give her a public apology. I feel like that all of this extra stuff that's come out of it maybe goes too far to, to, um, correct for really just the, the, equality argument you know like they i think it's getting conflated and i i if if you're just talking about soccer it's it doesn't have to be that big a deal yeah i i I, the the one thing i'll I'll just return to is that i really genuinely feel that in you you're having a professional relationship when you're a player and the referee and when you have a professional relationship you 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 don't have contact like you know both you and i have worked in offices i don't hug my coworkers. i don't i would never do that to one of my coworkers if i was in the office you know what i mean mm-hmm. unless i was an actual friend with them and knew it was okay but in general you have to have these professional relationships so i i i think the like aggression or non-aggression aside i think it really should be there shouldn't be contact between a player and a referee and it should be very fairly black and white that way, you know. Yeah, it, it's. I really do think the the. It just was very. I, I'm just trying to imagine if that was a, a male referee, if that would be. Um, uh, it, it we wouldn't be talking about it, right? I just don't think we'd be talking about it. Well, I mean, we wouldn't. And be- that's not to say that it shouldn't should happen. It's just that it's it's I. I I just see this getting so blown up and I don't think it serves her or equality or anything like that. It's just, it becomes a distraction from the fact that, Hey, she's tough enough to get to where she's at. And that's, that's the, that's the great thing. Like if anything, it draws attention to how awesome it is that she's there. You know, I think that's, there's positives to take out of this. Um, and all of a sudden because of all the attention this has gotten, I think like if there, if there's a silver lining, it's like all of a sudden um, people who didn't even realize she was there are, are taking notice, which is, is a great thing because I think there's a, I have two daughters. I hope that they see, see her and see an example of what they could reach for and be excited about that and not turned off by what Sergio Aguero decided to do. I think that's something you just, you are going to have to overcome for the time being and she did that and did it professionally. And I think that's the thing that should be applauded and looked at and um, not get too far into um, focusing on Aguero on how much of a creep he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and, and you say, again, I don't want to get too far down because this is getting way off uh, necessarily our rails. But like you, you say, you know, it's a, if it was a, a male referee, we wouldn't talk about it at all and i think that's exactly the point though is that uh 
the power dynamics between men and, and women, it's a very different thing. And that gesture towards a man is very different than that gesture towards a woman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, 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 as I say, like it is amazing that she's there and I think it's being blown up into a bigger deal than she really wants to. So I, I hopefully we can just look at it, nod, say Sergio Guerrero is a creep and move on from there. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. <laughs> All right. So we've got another game this week. Uh, Europa League kicks off officially on Thursday morning for us West Coasters. Um, pretty excited about this. I, we keep kind of... Um, talking about Europa League and other other segments because I think we both have some some excitement for um, na- you know the European play even if it's not Champions League it's still pretty fun I've I've been reticent to say this on the podcast but I love the Europa League I think it is I actually like the Europa League better than the Champions League I know it's better for Arsenal to be in the Champions League money wise but I love the Europa League because you get to see all these teams that very few people have heard of. You don't know exactly their style. You don't know the players. It's much more. It's much more fun. Like playing Champions League, we all know who we're coming against. It's going to be a Bayern. It's going to be a Barcelona. It's going to be Inter. It's going to like. <laughs> there's a, a a drawer of about ten teams that we all know we're eventually going to play. Whereas the Europa League is this like I don't know this open blossom of amazing soccer to be played and rapid Vienna is actually one of my favorite teams in Europe. So I'm very excited to play this game. Yeah. I think, um, the randomness of it getting to, um, it's, I I don't want to say I've gotten used to it, but I do, I do feel like at least for where Arsenal is right now, if we were in champions league, we'd be, super stressed out we'd be um probably just getting blown out of the water honestly i think like we are not at a champions league level right now europa league is where we at so let's enjoy let's enjoy it while it lasts and and watch this team build because i think this is this is the stuff that's gonna help this team grow and I, like i said we get to the development of the younger younger kids has really been the the fun part about Europa League for me in the last season or two. I just I just love uh, you know we wouldn't have Saka if if Emery hadn't ta- taken a chance on him in the Europa League. Same with Martinelli. I think that that was a lot of fun last year to get them um, minutes, and I'm I'm just excited to see more of that and just see some of these other players come in and gel. Like I'm excited to see Party come in hopefully and and get some minutes. So it just uh, offers a different a different dynamic a different lineup than what we normally see in our premier league matches so um just bring it on i'm ready i'm ready to see what they have against uh you know the number 2 team in the austrian <laughs> bundesliga you know i don't know where we sit uh in the in the world um soccer index compared to uh uh vienna but uh vienna they i'm sure it's going to be a fun match to watch anyway uh, I mean, Rapid Vienna, like I've seen them play before, mainly because in normal times, their their fans are some of the best fans in the world. I've had several friends go to games and sit with their ultras, and it's it's a good time. Like They're actually going to be a 30% crowd at this game, which should be interesting. It'll be interesting to see which 
30% of the crowd they bring. I have doubts whether they're going to bring the 30%. That's the loud, boisterous <laughs> part of the uh, the fan base. But uh, they do well in Europe all the time. They're generally on the top tier of Austrian football. I They're definitely the hardest team in the group, which think, I, I think we're going to play close to our top tier of uh, team against them just so we can get this game out of the way. Cause I mean, the rest of the group, not to jinx myself, but I'm not, I'm not too worried about, but it is this, this game is going to be the, uh, the game that we have the most difficulty with. So I'm, I'm hoping to see a full, mostly full strength lineup against them. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I hope we, we, see a mix of of the young guys with um some of our starters uh it's that's always the balancing act with the europa league games is the thursday sunday scheduling and then the just the rotation and getting that right um you want you want player development and you want to you want to save some legs for the weekend um and that's that's an interesting balancing act that arteta is going to have to figure out this is his first um i mean group he he has the FA Cup to to show for his time, but I feel like this is really um, a different experience than that. Uh, so I, I, Arsenal's a pretty decent cup team, and and I think there's uh, something to be gained from Europa League, even if people don't like being in it. It's something that they have to push to try to win because you have to tack, take every chance you can to get to uh, Champions League. Yeah, I mean, as I said, like I, I personally love the Europa League and enjoy it. But one of the interesting things is traditionally, for since I can remember following Arsenal, we've always had two keepers. We've had our cup keeper and our first team keeper. And it's always been that way. But this is the first year where I'm like, is, is Leno starting this game? Is Leno going to be both our Premier League and our cup keeper? It's a good question. I mean, what well, we've got Matt, <clears throat> Matt Macy and uh, Runerson, and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where they stand in in the eyes of Arteta at this point. So I, I would be, I'd be curious. You know, like I think you had mentioned in the last episode that uh, Runerson had played in Dijon, so you know he's got got some european experience he's he could be perfect for a, a europa league keeper and save save leno he played on the weekend uh for iceland and he did not look that bad i'm trying to remember the game that he played but uh he only let in like a goal and it wasn't his fault like he i was i was specifically watching him just to see how the game went and he did not look bad at all so you know, I could see us doing Runarsen as the keeper. It's just, I don't know. It seems very sudden, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, yeah, we've had Mace. Uh, we've had, uh, well, yeah, Macy's been around, but um, I was just thinking we've we've always had Emmy Martinez. To he's been around forever, and um, it seems like we've always had an established second keeper. It's been a while since we've. Um, I guess well, when Leno came in, he was playing behind Jack and then took over. But uh, this is a very different situation. Yeah, it's so. like when we had uh, Chesney and uh, Amunia. Like we've always had 
kind of a competition between keepers. And this is the first time mm-hmm. in a very long time that I can remember where our second keeper is such a drop off. I mean, and who knows? He might we don't not really know. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's just more like a a question mark. Our second keeper is a very strong question mark. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to see what this lineup looks like. Um and who needs to rest? I mean, we're just co- we're just coming off a, a break, so I don't know that there's going to be a ton of tired legs. But you do want to think about who you want to save for um, Lester at the weekend. Who you know, that's another game we should talk about. That's going to be um, that's going to be a tough one. They they sit above us at the table at the moment, so um, they're they're never never going to be easy. But they've lost their last two, so um, you know they're. They're either that caged animal that's gonna <laughs> uh, had a couple losses and, and needs to make a, a howling comeback against us, or uh, we can kick them while they're down. They're they're also playing Europe a Europa League game on Thursday as well, so um, they won't have any uh, advantage as far as uh, rest rest between games here. Yeah, I mean, like looking in forward to that Leicester game, I watched the uh, Leicester Villa game, which was also extremely boring there's there's a couple games that were not the most exciting games um and villa kind of came came through with the uh, goal towards the end of the the match but i i i think leicester is going to be a that team that is really at our level at this point and i know that sounds really bad and weird to say and it kind of stuck as I said it out of my mouth, but that, <laughs> that, that is a team that I, I feel we can judge ourselves against. Sure. Much more than the, the, uh, cities and Liverpool, the world, like how we play against Leicester, I think is going to be a sign post for how we play the rest of the season. Um, and so like, I w I was going to ask you what you thought about, uh, having Lacazette play in Europa league, but knowing we have Leicester, I'd rather him start at the Leicester game and have those 90 minutes. Yeah, so although the last time we played Leicester, it was Enkedia that came in and, and scored the winning goal. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, well, it wasn't the winning goal. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, it was the we, they they had an own goal. But yeah, that was a that was an EFL game. So I don't know how much um, stock we can take from that. But uh, Arsenal did win that one two zero. So um, I I I don't know what I don't think the. Um, saving in Kedia for the weekend or saving Lacazette for the weekend is necessary. Um, but I could, cause I could go either way with Kedia. He could play Europa league or he could play Leicester and I think I'd be okay. But who knows Williams in that mix now too. <laughs> Sorry, please never again. <laughs> so, I mean, it'll be interesting. And then like, we've been talking about our back line. What, what do you think the back line is going to look like for the, uh, the uh, rapid VN game? I kind of think you're gonna have to go Tierney, Louise, and Gabriel. Some there's just not a ton of wiggle room there, unless there's um, somebody else I'm not thinking of. Uh, Shelney. Uh, say again, Kashelny. You said Kashelny, or not or Kalasnach? Kalasnach. Sorry, that was like <laughs> class time warp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think he's he would he would play that left wing back position and at Tier- Tierney would slot would be the better one to slot in that third center back. Um, 
I but just, I, I think I would leave Kalas and Nash out out altogether and put in Ainsley Maitland Niles. Yeah, I mean that could be a a uh, or in, in I was gonna say or holding. Saka. I was gonna say holding, but he's injured. Because uh, like the, the thing I worry is that you you play that Thursday game, and then you have the quick turnaround, and can that defense just hold for both games like unchanged? Yeah, hard to say, and I don't know if you go more defensive in the midfield to try to compensate for that, like maybe do a, a party El Nani mix. Um, that could be a funky a funky one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually would not be surprised by a party in Elni. I think party is going to start the game. Like, I'm not a betting man, but if I were a betting man, I'd put money on party starting the Europa League game just to get minutes under his belt. Yeah. And um, that could be why he didn't see many minutes on the. Well, I mean, it's not that he's out out of shape. I think he's he he should be, um, fairly fit and ready to go. So I think he's, um, he could do a full a, a good chunk on Thursday and then still play again on Sunday if he had to. Yeah. But uh, hey, I'm trying to think because like I would like to rotate some of the players out of the uh, defense. I just think we're kind of in a hard spot. Yeah, we could see we could see Cedric get some time uh, to rest Bellerin. Um, Yeah, I would expect to see like a Reese Nelson get some minutes over Pepe and and William. Yeah, Um, trying to think of who else we could get in there and get some some extra time. I think you're gonna Enkedia is I I I think Enkedia is going to be involved. Yeah, um, Joe Willick's another name that. That could see some minutes. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Probably needs to see some minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it does feel a little bit like there's going to be some improvised positions in the, uh, in the game against uh, Rapid. I, I, I have heard people, I've seen it talked about have, having Aubameyang, if not starting on the bench for that game. Yeah, why not? I mean, he could play. He could probably play Thursday and Saturday and or and Sunday and still be fine. Yeah, because like, not that you want to do that. Because like the thing is, like if you can win this game or get good points out of this game, it makes the group so much easier. Because I mean, again, I don't know very much about the Irish team we're playing, the Dundalk or whatever. But I can't imagine. I God, I I'm so superstitious that I'm worried to say this, but I can't imagine it being that big of a problem. Molda, I know that team. They're like, we should beat that team. So it's the Rapid VN is the team that we need to really get points off of. I I really, the player I keep coming back to that I really want to see play um, more is Emil Smith-Rowe. And it, I, I just looked it up. It looks like he's been integrated back into the first team training. So he might see minutes on Thursday and that would be exciting to me yeah. because I think he's one of those, one of those players that everybody talks about being like the, the playing that Ozil role um, in that just kind of an orchestrator role. And I, I want to see him get more minutes and more time under Arteta so that we can actually see if that's, that holds true. Cause he would, he would fill a role that we absolutely need in this team. Yeah. Did you ever figure out? I know we talked about this offline. Like, what what channel is it going to be on? Um, I th- yeah, I think it's CBS All Access, unfortunately. Ugh. Um, and I saw something about how they weren't showing any 
they, they aren't showing any of Champions League or Europa League on any cable networks or anything. Anything They're just doing streaming. I, I know. It's really bad. It's so annoying. I, I, I have four streaming services to watch soccer. And I'm now going to have to like pick up a fifth. It, it, uh. Well, it's these, it's these, um, the, the league contracts that these networks have to sign are so expensive. They can't have, they can't afford to have more than one. So they get spread out. Yeah. That's annoying. But, uh, yeah, well, like the thing is I'll figure out a way to watch it. Maybe. We'll figure something yeah, out. Exactly. It's our, it's our job, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we we do it so that you don't have to. No, you you want to. Yeah. Never mind. I think you want to watch those games. <laughs> uh, there are other services that may be extra legal that uh, one can watch these games as well. The bottom line is we'll make it happen. Yeah, for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, do you want to touch quickly on the the Arsenal women? keeping Spurs in their place. Yeah. I mean, some may say this is the Arsenal highlight of the weekend, which is that really the uh, women's sure. team destroyed Spurs. Once again, may say that Arsenal owns Spurs in this fixture. And it's, it's amazing. Destroyed them six, one, which they don't, they don't have low scoring games. I feel like the Arsenal women just blow up on teams. Yeah. I mean, it is the uh, women's league as it is right now, which is basically three to four of the teams have funding. Arsenal women, uh-huh. being one of them, yes. and several of the other teams kind of half-ass it, looking at Spurs and uh, <laughs> don't support the women's team. Although they did just bring in uh, <laughs> Alex Morgan and still got destroyed by the wonderful Arsenal. Um, one of the highlights of the game was that uh, Vivian Medina just uh, broke the record for uh, goal scoring in the women or the WSL. So she holds the record right now for high, most number of goals in the WSL. Uh, wow! Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing. She scored fifty two goals in fifty games for Arsenal. Wow! Which is amazing. A, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> you know, like having the, the, the city result was one thing, but seeing Spurs get destroyed again by our women's team is, it's just, it's natural at this point. And I, I, I love it. And that's, it's, it's one of the reasons to follow the women's team is because they are one of the top five teams in the world of women's soccer. And it's, it's a joy to watch. Well, the any any time the Spurs lose, it doesn't matter, men, women. We're we're all about equality here. They're they're all losers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that combined with the uh, Spurs three three was like a great Twitter like uh, feed to watch. It was how much just despair was on the Spurs side. <laughs> Constant despair. Constant <laughs> disappointment. All right. Well, I think that should just about do it for us this week. We've talked ourselves well into, you know, almost an hour and a half, Tim. What are we doing with our lives? Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Unless you do you want to do you want to talk about fantasy? I'll talk about fantasy 
very quickly, which is Omkar is still in the lead. I would like to say that he is running both Kane and Sun. So while in the lead, I believe there's an asterisk. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Uday, who's in third place right now, is the spiritual champion of the league because he's not running <laughs> any Spurs player. Me and you had a miserable outing. I did, I, I don't know if you noticed. I didn't. I didn't touch my. <laughs> oh, that makes me feel worse because I did touch my. my... <laughs> I I as soon as the game the Arsenal game kicked off, I was like, oh De- yeah, I forgot De Bruyne's not playing. Oh damn it, I forgot De Bruyne's not playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I don't. I don't remember, but it, I have Van Dyke on my team, and I'm. Oh no! Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to figure that mess out and yeah so my team at van dyke Bruyne, which i had benched um but unfortunately yeah i did not pick well for his replacements and bamford who i was hoping would score today did not do anything in their game against wolves so yeah i'm still ahead of you which uh does make me happy (laughs) I I would say I would change that, but I I don't know what I'm doing still. <laughs> clearly, clearly it requires you to actually set your lineup and take off injured players. So yeah, and, uh, I'm going to learn my lesson this week and and never do that again. Yeah, and uh, sell some players. Like I actually sold sold uh, Van Dyke because he's probably not starting for the next eight months. So <laughs> it's probably <laughs> a safe uh, safe bet to 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 sell him. And I picked up eh, two defenders. We'll see if they work. But yeah, I've got an 11-point uh, buffer on you. So. Well, it's, it only takes like one good performance to overtake that sometimes. <laughs> but that's few and far between. All right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, let's, let's start by thanking you. I'm going to switch it up this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us once again. Um, we have multiple ways to get in touch with us if you'd like to join in on the conversation. Uh, Twitter is at W of N London. And if you'd like to just email us with your questions and comments, you can do so at West of North London at gmail.com. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, we're, we record usually Mondays or Tuesdays. So if you watch a game and feel like you want to get that question out right away, do it. If you think about it a couple days later, you probably still have a good chance of getting it to us. And we will definitely read it on on there for the next episode. Um, If you like what you heard of our theme song, you can check out that band, who is Bobcat, at B-O-B-C dot A-T. That's Bobcat spelled out. Makes it super easy to remember. Just don't do dot com. They're most recent album is no course to follow and you can uh, check that out there and find all their other links to social media shows in the future and uh, all that info can be found there I think yeah I'm sure that has to be it for us this week so as always we'll see you at the next gun show